when I say Ecclesiastes. Ah, <laughs> yes! <laughs> no, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's, um, for me, Ecclesiastes has been a great reminder about how ordinary life is, right? Like how mundane life is. Like it just, just kind of the preacher, you know, the, or Coalette, the, the author is just kind of like, you have a few conversations, you make a few friends, you know, and then that's it. Like game over. Like, like you're done. That's life. I'm just going, yeah, it's like it's really mundane. Life is really ordinary. And you you look, you're just going, Matt, you're a really um really encouraging motivational speaker, man. That's really good. Like you're really getting me amped. And I'm um, just going, well, uh, if we want to reflect the tone of Ecclesiastes, we kind of have to say that, don't we? <laughs> like that's life. It's really ordinary. If, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Ecclesiastes 2. Um, we're going to be sitting in, uh, in the first section there, one, verse 1 to 11, uh, for today. Um, and if you kind of quickly glance down, you'll see that he, uh, it's almost like a summary. Like it's almost like it's quite quick. It's very, it's very quickly paced. And there's a number of different themes that he moves across. So what I'm, um, <coughs> what I'm hoping to do today is to kind of gather up whatever's left of your good pleasures and just kind of burn them all up in a heap at once. So what we've been doing is we've been taking it week by week. Uh, I'm just going, all right, we just got to fast track a little bit because we've only got one week left in Ecclesiastes. The the sides were so strong, weren't they? Just so many sides. Oh, only one week left. So I'm, I'm, I'm covering off basically, well, most of what's left in the book you know, thematically, um, and just kind of going to light it all up at once. So uh, in doing so, again, you're just faced with that same question. What do we do? What do we do with gifts? What do we do with pleasure? You've just gone and, and messed it all up. I don't know what to do. You know, I, I'm still reeling about what to do with wisdom <laughs> from two weeks ago. But um, we will get there. So today we're looking at pleasure. So in, in, in doing so, in looking at pleasure... Uh, pleasure is kind of the doorway uh, through which we view a handful of topics. So ple- we're just kind of going to stand in the door arch and just have a look, you know, because pleasure, um, pleasure is the why behind what it is that we do, right? Like the so pleasure is, that's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for my pleasure. So we're going to look at them through the lens of pleasure. Let's, um, let's set the scene. In, uh, I, might, I might just read through the section and then we'll come back and we'll kind of uh, chunk it down a little bit. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the, the few days of their life. You hear it? <laughs> the few days. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also pr- I also, sorry, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. 
I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's set the scene with verse 1. Listen to what he says here. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You see the, um, you see the inner dialogue he's having here with himself? You know, the, the, he's kind of like sitting in a room with himself and himself and he's having a little chat. So, you know, whatever. He's having an inner dialogue and he's talking to himself and there's an invitation. He's saying, come on, let's, let's, go, let's go test some stuff. Let's go explore pleasures and I'm going to test you and I'm going to test the heart and see how you respond. So the preacher, he wants to learn how his heart will respond to those things that will attempt to pleasure it under the sun, right? Like it's, it's pretty clear. He's going, come now, I'm going to test you with pleasure. We're going to look at everything under the sun and we're just going to kind of, we're going to test it. We're going to ask the question. Now in doing this, the Bible raises the question for every human being that we have heard week you know, after week, is there a thing in the world that can satisfy the heart of a human being? Like, that's the question. He's going, we're going to see if there's a thing that can satisfy the human heart under the sun. I'm going to test myself with all manner of pleasure. Now, I wonder, just, just to set the scene, I wonder if you've had that conversation. <laughs> Come on, Matt, let's, let's try this. Right, let's see if this will pleasure us. That looks good. Like that. That looks like that would really satisfy me. Like I'm frustrated and I'm confused or there's conflict or I just want more and I'm just going, that would be a really good thing to please me. Doesn't that, um, doesn't that just sound like the calm before the storm, like temptation that comes before fall? Just that little temptation? Come on, let's, let's try this. Let's test this to see if it'll please us. Now notice this. Notice the, the way he just completely ruins the the plot and just jumps to the conclusion straight away like verse one but behold this also was vanity just going way to ruin the surprise man like straight away he says come now i'll test yourself with pleasure enjoy so he's kind of like set the scene and then before he even starts walking in the scene he just goes guess what it was a waste of time he's like i'm just going to give away the ending Spoiler alert, big time. It was all vanity. Like that's, um, that's really interesting to note. Let me say this. We hear, like, we hear the message from the preacher, don't we? we? We hear what he's saying and we learn what he tries to show us, but few of us actually believe it. Like I'm not convinced yet. You know, we hear him saying, you know, wealth isn't where you should find your pleasure like it's not lasting lay up treasures in heaven and we hear that we go yeah that's great i hear it but we're not convinced yet it like isn't that half of your conversations with teenagers it's like 
this is the right way to go. This is righteousness. This is the, the good path. And they're just going, yeah, I hear you, but I'm just, I'm not convinced yet. I, I just want to see for myself. Just going, no, no, no. You don't need to see from yourself. Learn from, like, learn from me, learn from wisdom, learn from righteousness. Go this way. You know, I compel you to go this way. And they're going, yeah, I get it, but I'd like to see for myself. But so what they're saying, they don't get it. Like if you get it, you're not, there's, you're not doing this. It's not, I get it, I'm going to do it my own way. That's, that's a conflicting statement. <laughs> so that's what I want to do is I want to say that's what you do in your own heart. I get it but I just want to see for myself. So you hear, you hear a message on wealth or a message on work or today a message on pleasure and you're just going, no, I get it. Like, I get it. We're not supposed to find pleasure in anything but God. Like, got it. I'm going, sure, but maybe you don't. Like, maybe you don't actually have it and you need to step back from your pleasures and you just need to question them. Just go, we're just going to test that. So that's what we're doing. We just, we just want to ask, of, you know, of our pleasures, what purpose do you play? What's the point? We're, um, we're very quick. If you, if you listen to verse 1, we're very quick to say to ourselves, enjoy yourself. But we're very slow to say, I'm going to test you. And I'm going to question that. I'm going to step back and actually look at the reason for this so when did you last question or test your pleasures? When did you last look at the gift of uh, sex or, or alcohol and actually question it and look at what underpins it for you? That's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to start with laughter. He says, he says in, uh, in verse 2 there, I said of laughter, it is mad. <laughs> it's mad. Laughter is a gift, isn't it? Like laughter is a good gift. You know, they say have laughter. What do they say? It's the best medicine, right? Like you laugh and you just, you feel good. You just go, that feels really good inside of me, my body. Like that is really good medicine. It's those, you know, you think of those sweet moments where you just, you're enjoying time with family and friends. You're reflecting, you know, on, uh, on the good old times. You kind of look back and you, and you just laugh. It's ironic how you can, like, at the time, something really sucked. Like, is that really sucked? But you can look back and you can laugh about it. That is so bizarre. Like, over here, you're just going, this is the worst, and this is really embarrassing, and it's humiliating, and it sucks. And you just kind of just add a little bit of time into the mix, and you're just going, that's hilarious. Like, what a good gift that is, right? You're just going, like, that was so dumb. Like, I can just laugh at it. It's, um, like... <laughs> Listen to, um, I don't know if we've ever quoted Abraham Lincoln here, but um, ladies and gentlemen, Abraham Lincoln's in the house. L listen to what he says about laughter. If it were not for these stories, jokes and jests, I should die. They give vent. They are the vents for my moods and glooms. Just going, that dude's pretty depressed. <laughs> like, like, wow. Like, he's like, if someone doesn't cheer me up today, I'm just going to, I'll probably die. Just going to try and make it to the front door, I probably won't make it. I'll probably fall over and crack my head on the table and I'm gone. Anyway, it's laughter is a gift. Let me, um, let me give you a few things that keep us going with, um, with young kids. You know, and I, I'm going to refer to all of these as a third party just to, um, just to protect my child because it, it was probably someone else, but it was probably my child. So you know, that, that moment when your young child 
uh, runs into the lounge room and, and, uh, and they've put their undies on and they celebrate because they put their undies on all by themselves and the undies are on backwards, <laughs> right? Like the biggest wedgie you've ever seen because their undies are on backwards and your young child's like, just like, look, look what I've done. And you're just going, <laughs> you, you look hilarious because it's so wrong. Uh, or, or the moment when your, um, your young child wants you to sit on them for a pony ride. I'm going, who rides a, like, I'm the dad, you're the kid, you're supposed to get a pony ride on me. Like, it's my knee. And she's like, no, 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 forget that, dad. You can have a pony ride on me. It's like, nah, that's hilarious. But it's like, what? All right, let's do that. Like, whatever, let's do that. Or the, the moment your young child calls your wife by her middle nickname. Like, she's got a middle name, and she's got a nickname that comes from that, and we, it's never used. And the moment she goes, she goes, Hey, Mum. Hey, Mum. Hey, Becca. She just pulls out this random nickname. We're just going, What did you say? Like, what? Anyway, it's, it's good. The, let me give you another one. The moment your, um, your child uses the toilet, and, and I can say it. I can, we, we, can, um, we can handle this here. She announces to the house she's done a poo. She kind of, like, I'm a legend. I have done... I've used the bathroom and I've done a poo. And, uh, and when, uh, when mum goes in and asks, uh, you're, you're done, like you're finished? And, uh, and then she kind of follows up by saying, no, 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 I'm going to do five more, mum. Uh, that's, not, that's not how it works, but like, yeah, cool, let's do that, you know, like, whatever. Hindsight is a, um, a funny thing. Let me, um, let me throw myself into the ring. Um, you know one of the, uh, a funny thing, something that we can laugh about? Like, any single man ever, right? Like, just like, that's really dumb. <laughs> let, me, let me throw myself into the ring. One time I tried to uh, microwave bread to make toast. <laughs> but it just, it, like, it was bizarre. So I, I pulled it out and it was white on the outside. I was like, it looks okay. I bit it and it was black in the inside. I don't know how it does it, but somehow a microwave cooks the inside of the bread before. It's like, this is just like a science uh, marvel. I'm like, I've invented something. Anyway, it was really dumb. Or think of, a, um, think of a dude asking a girl out for the first time. Like, how funny is that? Like, have you, like is there something wrong with your tongue? Like, you seem to have trouble talking. Like, what, dude, what are you sweating for? He's like, <laughs> like, dude, like, what's, what is that with you? Like, there's something wrong with you. You can kind of look back at that and just go, that's really, that's really funny. Let me give you a few of these because um, it needs to be done. What did, uh, what did one vegetarian spy say to the other vegetarian spy? We have to stop meeting like this. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the Native American word for vegetarian? Poor hunter. <laughs> I, I, I eat meat and I feel, um, I feel really bad for animals, but like, I mean, just run faster, I guess. Like, and stop tasting so good, you know? Like, feel bad for them, but like, really, just hook in, would you? There's a, um, there is, there's a time to laugh. Like the preacher says in Ecclesiastes specifically that there is a time to laugh, right? Like there's, yes, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to cry and there's a number of other times, um, but there is, the preacher teaches us that there are times when the only appropriate thing to do is laugh. It's just like, that's funny. We just need to laugh and enjoy this. It is a good gift from God used to enrich relationships but let me say this, it can do other things, can't it? Laughter can be used for other things. So what we're going to do with each of these is we're going to look at a number of ways that each of these 
uh, things, each of these themes can quickly become a poison for us rather than a good gift. And this is what we're doing with laughter. Laughter is an escape. Have you, um, have you met the person who laughs their way out of pain? You know, who kind of just laughs it off? You know, Proverbs says about that, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Just like you're just ripping off that jacket and you're just throwing them out the back and just saying, <laughs> all the best, you'll be fine. And it's going, that is the worst thing you could have done for me. I, uh, I met with a, uh, a student this week and their, and their parents are going through like a serious conflict, like a very, very hard conflict. And, uh, and we were talking about it and he, um, he was just kind of shrugging it off. And he said, um, yeah, whenever my, um, my dad gets sad and, uh, and tries to talk about it, I just quickly change the subject and I just tell him to be happy. Just go, what? Like, wow, like that's... He's just going, yeah, we should just be happy about it. Like, it just, we just have to laugh it off. Like, people should be happy. I'm going, yeah, yeah, like, they should be happy, but, like, there's a time to, to cry, right? Like, I think that may be laughter as an escape. Like, that's not a place for happiness. That's like he's kicking his dad out in the, in the cold and ripping off his jacket and saying, look, just cheer up, would you? Just be happy. Going, I don't think that's a great response. Laughter can be an escape. Laughter is a distraction. I'm sure that you have those friends, and this is similar. I'm sure you've got those friends, or maybe you are that friend who constantly reflects and shares about the good old times. But that's it. Like You just spend all your time telling great, funny stories about how things used to be. But you're not here. You're not present. Like you're always talking about, ah, oh, like you're catching up with your old mates. Oh, remember that and remember that. It's like, well, what about what's gone right now? What about how my life is right here and right now? Or maybe, um, or maybe when you get together with friends, all you talk about is funny movies <laughs> or, or like, like one-liners. I'm like, that is prevalent with young people. Just like, we're just going to laugh and joke around about some funny movies. <laughs> like, look, that's good and that's okay, but it's not enough. You just, that's just a distraction from real life. It is a false reality that you're living in. It's a distraction from what is really going on in people's hearts and minds. Don't allow laughter to distract you like that. Laughter is foolishness. Ecclesiastes says this, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is, the, um, this is the friends who laugh about things that are completely inappropriate. Like this is where laughter gets really dumb. Like when you joke about sex or your marriage or like getting drunk. Like when you joke about things that are really sacred and are really like they are they're meant to be guarded and you just kind of joke about things that would bring you shame. You know, like those kind of spouse jokes. Well, well, at least you're not married to this one. Like that is, that is foolishness. It's filth. If you joke like that, you're acting like a fool. That is not right. And lastly, laugh, laughter as an excuse. Now this is, um, this, is, uh, this is dangerous. This is where you know you are wrong and, and uh, you've made a mistake, but you're not willing to own up to it. You don't want to take responsibility for it and you don't have the guts to apologize and repent. So you just laugh it off. 
<laughs> You'll be all right. Just lighten up, would you? Come on. I was only joking. Anyone hear that proverb about the madman who, th- who throws fiery arrows and says I was only joking? It's going, that is... A, you, you. Sin is not excusable. Like when, if, that's the, if that's the case, if you've wronged someone and you're trying to joke it off, I'm just going, that is not okay. It's not excusable. Laughter can be an excuse. That said, let's, um, let's enjoy laughter. Laughter, I, I think in its truest form, laughter is an expression of rejoicing, isn't it? Like listen, listen to this psalm and listen to the, the process of how uh, these people respond to what God's done. It says this in Psalm 126, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then... So this happened and then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue, our tongue with shouts of joy. It's like that moment when you find out really good news. What comes after that? Like a smile and a laugh, right? Like the fist pump and the big smile and the laugh. And it's like, wait, it actually happened. Laughter in its truest form is an expression of rejoicing. So somehow by the grace of God, we are able to trip and stumble through life as humans and laugh about it somehow by His grace. So let's enjoy laughter together. But it's not enough. Even Jesus, who was full of true joy, was called the man of sorrows, wasn't he? It's like, wow, that's a really sad picture to paint. So here's what to do with laughter. Let laughter remind you that a time is coming where God will wipe away every tear from your eye and where you will know true, full, lasting joy. Because <laughs> laughter comes and goes, doesn't it? Just little pockets of it, little glimpses of laughter where you just kind of, you know. I, I remember a, um, a night a couple of weeks ago where we had um, some of our community group over and we laughed really hard. Like my cheeks were aching. Like we just had a really good time. But I haven't done it since. Like it was two weeks ago. It was refreshing. Like my face was sore. Like my entire face. And we just laughed out. We just laughed for like over an hour. And that was great. But pockets. So let laughter remind you that it's coming. Right? There, it's coming where God will wipe away every tear from your eye. And there won't be any more sorrow. And you will experience true joy. But for now, don't depend on it. Laughter cannot save you. It doesn't have enough pleasure to save you. Let laughter lead you to God. All right, alcohol. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Now, don't put your hand up, but like, who loves a good bottle of red, right? Like, it'll be a stumbling block if you put your hand up. But, uh, but you know, like, there's something about alcohol, like, whatever it is, like a, a nice pale ale or a light beer on a summer's afternoon or a whiskey or whatever, like, this, it's a gift, right? Like, and I would, I would suggest that, like, Jesus agreed, didn't he? Like, his first miracle, <laughs> he's like, I'm not about to have a wedding without wine, right? Like that is, that is not going to happen on my books. 
you'd think like his first miracle is going to be like, I'm setting the scene for what miracles are going to look like, so I'm going to do something spectacular. And I think he did. Like, don't write off the wine thing, man. Like, don't, oh, just the wine, like whatever. I'm going, like he, <laughs> he, um, he was ensuring that this wedding feast could go on celebrating. You know, that they wouldn't have to, um, that it wouldn't be a hindrance that they had a lack of wine. Let me, uh, let me just clarify before going further. Noticed that he looked to alcohol with wisdom. You know, if you read that, um, the second phrase, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. There's a sense of caution, isn't there? Like there's a carefulness. Like I explored alcohol, but I did it really carefully. Like my heart still guided me with wisdom uh, in that. I had my wits about me. So wine, you know, Ecclesiastes says wine can give you a merry heart. Proverbs says it can gladden your life. But again, it can do more than that, can't it? Like it can actually poison your pleasure. Listen to this proverb. It's, um, it is a, a perfect fit. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like, what is truer? Well, there's a few things, but that's really true. Like, wounds without cause, like that, that cracks me up. Like, I'm going back to laughter when I read that. I'm just going, yeah, how good's that? Now, imagine, let me, um, let me say this, you know, almost seriously. Well, not almost seriously. Seriously, imagine if a beer commercial portrayed that reality, right? Like, the picture that we see at the moment for alcohol, like it is a God and it is an end and you can find pleasure in it. Like having a party, the one, the one missing ingredient is alcohol. Like that's how you have a good party. I don't, I don't think that's right. What would that look like? Like imagine the beer commercial with the um, violent abuse or the, um, like a recovery group. You know, or, or a man hugging a toilet in the middle of the night, retching. It's like, imagine that. Like, imagine the, the real reality of people finding pleasure in alcohol. It's, gone. It's, not, it's not like that, that's for sure. Like, it's not a couple of fellas standing around an esky with a big fluffy bear, like, hanging from a tree. Like, that's, I don't think that's it. Like, well, I know that's not it. I don't, yeah. Alcohol can become a poison. Alcohol as, a, as an escape. This is the person who's running from their problems to the bottle. Like, had a big day? Might be time for a couple of glasses of wine, right? Like, you ever heard that? Like, you heard that in your back of your head? Just going, be careful. <laughs> this is the person who can't handle a conversation. You know, it's a difficult conversation. Or it's an awkward conversation with someone. Or they go out to social, social gatherings and they don't feel socially confident, so they just get drunk. So they don't have to remember it. Or so they can lighten up. Oh, it just helps me lighten up. It takes the edge off. <laughs> you might be escaping for something. Or, the, you know, this is the person who doesn't have the guts to take responsibility. You know, life is too hard. So I'm going to escape in alcohol. And, and even worse, you know, that turns to, to abuse. The very next time you drink, 
if you drink. Stop and ask yourself the question. Just ask it. Am I trying to escape from anything? Like, just before you're doing it, just question yourself. Ask the question, what am I running from? Am I escaping anything? Is this an escape for me? Because there's a, there's a good chance there's something in your head that's going, I really need this right now. And I'm going, you don't need that comfort. You need the comfort of God. You need the rest of God. Alcohol is folly. This is the person who does things they normally wouldn't do without alcohol. Like al- alcohol is their confidence booster. So they do things that they've been meaning to say. Sorry, they say things they've been meaning to say. Um, they act out. They do a bunch of really dumb things. You know, they humiliate themselves or they commit fornication. They make themselves look like a fool. This is the proverb. They wake up with red eyes, covered in vomit, and they've got <laughs> wounds all over them. They're going, what? Like, like my bone's sticking out. It's going, <laughs> it's really dumb. Like you're just being foolish. They're just going... That is really, really dumb. Don't, uh, don't do that. And alcohol as identity. This is the person, um, this could be the person who's a social drinker. You just you always got to drink because someone else is having a drink. Oh, I'll just have one because they're having a drink. Like if that's the case, you're going to be drunk a lot, all the time. Like you're going to be, you're always going to be drunk. And it's, um, it's not going to work. Don't, don't be a clown. This is, um, this is a lot of young people. Like, it's cool to drink, right? Like, yeah, it's cool to drink. What is that? Like, you're putting some combination of chemicals in your mouth and you're swallowing it. Like, what's cool about that? Like, make some sense of that. Like, it seems pretty ordinary to me. Like, ah, it's really cool. All our friends are drinking. Cool, yeah. That's what all my young friends sound like. So, uh, excuse the uh, analogy. But uh, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. Like, this is a person who's developed poor habits. And they're just going, I can't really unwind without my evening beer. Okay, that's, you probably made it a part of your identity. It's who I am. This is how I rest with my evening beer. Alcohol is a gift. Yes, absolutely. A modest amount of wine and alcohol can be a real delight. But it's not enough, right? Like neither the drunkard nor the connoisseur can find true pleasure in the glass. They both finish the glass having gained very little, if anything. What do you do with alcohol? Let alcohol and your thirst for it remind you that Christ is living water. That He is the one that you really thirst for. So next time you're thirsting for a beer, remind yourself that what you're really thirsting for, that's not my true thirst. What I'm really thirsting for is Christ the living water who refreshes my soul. Remember what, um, what Jesus said when he stood up at the festival, festival of, um, I think it was booths, booths um, in, in John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He's going, I'm the one who satisfies thirsty people. Not that. I'm the one. Let your thirst Remind you of Christ, the living water. Sex. He says, um, if you jump down a little bit in Ecclesiastes 2, it's just bizarre how he tacks on. He talks about singers. I'll, uh, I'll read it just so you can see it. Um, uh, 8, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Oh no, yeah, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Like, just set a, set a bit of a scene. Like, if we're rolling with the fact that Solomon likely wrote this, he had a very unique experience with sex. Like, 700 wives, 300 concubines. So, what, what you can be tempted to see is like, oh, that's just like a little side thing. You just, you just kind of tax it on the end. And I had a lot of concubines. It's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that small. Because if you look at his life, you go, oh, actually, that was a really big thing for him and a really uh, a big uh, temptation. It doesn't need to be said, but what a gift sex is. For people who are married, sex is one of the most pleasurable experiences a couple can share together. You know, like alcohol, if you think about it, that's a personal experience. Yeah, there's a sense in which somehow it could contribute to a social uh, uh, gathering, but not really. Like sex is one of the most uh, pleasurable experiences a couple can share together. You know, you, kn- you probably know all this, but let me remind you, um, it releases hormones in your brain in a similar way to cocaine, right? Like that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like that, that by default makes it, a, uh, a pleasurable experience. You know, it's a really close form of physical intimacy. If you think about it like this, that's one engagement that only you and your spouse share. Like, you don't share that with anyone. You give other people a hug, you know, and you might give them a little kiss on the head and give them a good greeting, but you don't share that with anyone. It's the closest physical connection you can have, and it creates a sense of connection in a relationship. But again, let's just question it. It can do more than that, can't it? It can do a whole lot more than that sex as an escape this is the person who runs to sex or self-pleasure when life gets hard you know work relationship conflict responsibilities come crashing down and they get stressed and their answer is demanding of their spouse they're just they're just on edge this is the person who avoids this, this also, listen to this, this is the person who avoids hard conversations in their marriage. Either they don't want to hear something or they don't want to address something and they turn to sex instead to silence their spouse. Like, look, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm just going to bring in a distraction and by distraction, I mean the biggest distraction, something that will take our minds off it completely and I'm just going to use it as an, as an escape to dodge a hard topic. Sex is folly. Now this, like, this is just really clear. This is the person who fornicates, right? Like anyone outside of marriage. This is the person who gives their body away in order for people to love them, like in order to feel loved by people. Like that's really dumb. Like it's really foolish. Don't treat sex that way. This is the person that doesn't guard their heart in dating and allows temptation into that relationship. That's really foolish. Guard your heart. Be very, very careful about it. Or this is the person who pleases themselves. It's really dumb. It's really foolish. Sex is power. This is the person who uses sex to manipulate others. You know, they they withhold themselves until they get what they want. This is the person who takes advantage of other people. This is the person who views pornography. You know, sex, you know, people can use sex to make themselves feel powerful or superior. 
And that's really poisonous, isn't it? That's really, really poisonous. Eswine says this about sex. I think he does a really good job of painting uh, a picture for it. Let's say that last night, husband and wife made love the way God intended for them, full of passion, delight, and the pornless enjoyment of one another's nakedness. The young married couple slept peacefully in each other's arms. This morning, the alarm clock still sounds. The diapers, traffic, and bills are waiting. Or, deep into middle age, and fully one with the wide smile of their satisfying bodily love, they reach for their robes, and the bones pop and joints ache. Isn't that hilarious? He's like, sex for young people, you wake up and you've got a bunch of stuff to do. You know, you've got responsibility. Sex for old people, you wake up and you're sore. You know, just go on my back. It's, going, it's just a great picture of how mundane it is, right? Like life comes crashing in. Sure, it's great. Sure, it's a good gift. But put it in picture, man. Put it in the bigger picture. You're going to wake up and you're going to complain about your back. There's two vertebrae that are like, they're just gone. Like they, I swallowed them or something. My kidneys absorbed them. Anyway, sex is a great gift, but it's not enough. Even sex in its uh, true form isn't enough to bring about true lasting pleasure. Now, I think Piper does a really good job of this. So I'm just going to sum it up with what he says. Sexual intimacy and sexual climax get their final meaning from what they point to. So he's saying that sex is a means, right? So they get their meaning from what, it, what they point to, right? So they derive their meaning from that. They point to ecstasies that are unattainable and inconceivable in this life. Just as the heavens are telling the glory of God's power and beauty... So sexual climax is telling the glory of immeasurable delights that we will have with Christ in the age to come. There will be no marriage there. But what marriage meant, what marriage points to will be there. And the pleasures of marriage, 10 to the millionth power will be there. Now that's, that's difficult because it's, gone. it's hard for me well, it is for me. It might not be for you. You might just be like, amen. But it's hard for me to pull the pleasures of God alongside the pleasures of sex. But it needs to happen because sex is a means. It points to, listen to that. It points to the immeasurable delights we will have with Christ. He's going, you think sex is good? Just wait until heaven. Wait until you're united with Christ. All right. Art and music. I know half of you breathe a deep sigh. <sighs> Just kidding. Music and art are really powerful things. They are um, incredible. I love it. I'm, I'm a musician, so music kind of is a really special gift. You know, they give us they give us pleasure, and and music and art they kind of point us toward joys, in a sense. Like I wonder if you think about um, uh, the section there that Solomon kind of mentions. The singers. I got singers, both men and women. Solomon's like, he's not doing things half-hearted, right? Like he's not having like the four-piece, um, you know, uh, what's the, what, what do you call it when you only use your mouth? Acapella. Like he doesn't have like the four-piece acapella group, like, you know, here comes treble, just like singing in the back of the courtyard, like just 
It's, that's not it. Like we're talking glorious. Like we're talking walking through the beautiful temple with the great architecture and the great designs and the landscaping. And it's an artwork in itself, right? Like all of it's an artwork. The silver and the gold. Just going, this is incredible. And hearing the choir, hearing the hundreds and hundreds of singers singing as you walk through the garden. I'm going, that would be really nice. Music and art is, is like a common language that uh, jumps across barriers like culture and language, right? Like it's kind of like this common language that everyone can relate to. Music and art can be more than that, though, can't they? Let's look at them as an escape. Now, this is the person in their car screaming out their lungs to the radio causing cra- traffic problems, right? Like this is, like I'm r- I'd rather run into a tree than listen to that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Not really. But, but in a sense, this is the person who turns to music to make their heart whole, right? To face their problems. Like, I'm going to face my problems through this music. Now, yeah, like I get that music and art help you process certain problems, but they shouldn't be the primary source that you go to. You know, the per- this is the person who uses music to numb pain in their life you know you ever you ever had that song that you're just like i just really relate to it (laughs) you know like in in my um i'm I'm quite young but you know a little over a decade ago there was a really big um emo scene (laughs) like that whole scene that was just that just like it's going oh yeah this song man just gets me like just my heart is like in that song you know i feel like my heart's out there whatever like good on you (laughs) like i think you're taking it too far this is the um it could be that the, the artist who turns to creating things to take their mind off of their lives, right? Like life's hard, it's going to check out, it's going to create things. Now, it sounds very critical, but I think it's, um, it can be an escape. Or music or art as folly. Listen to this. Have you, um, have you listened to the top 10 tracks lately? Don't. Like, don't. Like, don't. Like, that... Like, that could almost be the definition of folly, right? Like, just dumb. Just like, it baffles me that the so- like they are the top 10 most played songs in the world. It baffles me that people listen to that. Like, yeah, it's catchy, but it is dumb. Like, it is so dumb. Let me, um, let me read you the first line from the top three songs. I'm so into you, I can hardly breathe. Well, like, what did your scarf blow over your mouth or something? Like, what, you're going for a swim and your goggles slipped off your face? Like, what is that even? I don't know. Like, whatever. Like, that sounds really dumb. All right, guys. Right. Right over there to the left where the people's at. Like, that sounds like, that sounds like a Siri song. Like, you've talked to Siri and Siri's gone and stuffed it right up. And it's like, rah, 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 rah. And just like, no, nah, that's not even a sentence. What is that? Like, what are you doing, Siri? That happens all the time. My wife thinks I'm the worst texter because I use Siri. But uh, it's like, I don't know, that, that's the definition of folly to me. L- listen to this. S- uh, third one. See you walking round like it's a funeral. Not so serious, girl. Why those feet cold? Are you with me? Like, is that like... This is the person who listens to that folly save the uh, harsh words, and allows those lyrics to shape their lives, right? Now you're going, look, that's trivial. I don't think it is. I think music 
shapes a little bit about the way we view the world and the things we believe, right? Like it's kind of like it sneaks in the back door, you know, like it's the fox that sneaks in through the fence and all of a sudden our worldview has changed a little bit because of the songs that we listen to and we're going, well, what's that? Where's that thought come from? It's probably from that, that, uh, that uh, dumb stuff you listen to, you know? Like it's, it's the person who falls for the lie of pop music. This could also be the person who allows like corny, cheesy Christian lyrics to influence their convictions and beliefs above the Word of God. Where do you get your theology from? Songs? Don't do that. Like, don't do that. Get your theology from the Bible, the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, and allow songs to complement that, right? So you hear a song and you go, yeah, I agree, because that, you know, that lines up with what I already believe. You're not going, oh, that's, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to learn that this week. Nah, it's the other way around. They, um, songs don't inform your theology, they support it. So don't fall for that. And, and lastly, I'd say this is the person who is moved far too much emotionally by music. They're just like tossed in the wind. Like they hear a power ballad and they're just like a write-off. <laughs> you know, it's like game over. It's like the end of that, end of that like uh, blockbuster movie and that song comes on and the scene changes and they're running and it's like, go, oh, you know, like I'm a mess. They're like, that's good. Like, yeah. That's good, but maybe um, just maybe just don't take that too far. Maybe just be a little bit more emotionally stable for the good of our family. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about my family. I'm just talking about that's probably me. I'm more emotionally charged than my wife, ironically. So I watch a movie and I'm like crying, and I look over and she's like, "What are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> did you see that?" Like, anyway, music can be really, really foolish, and art, and and you know the creative arts can be really foolish, but Music is a powerful gift. So what do we do with music? Let music remind you, let the arts remind you that God is infinitely creative, right? Like God made music. Think about what the angels do. They're singing. Like they could be doing anything. They could be like whatever. They could be building things. They could be writing books. They could be doing anything. But out of everything, they choose to sing Incredible, because there's something incredible about music. Let it remind you that God communicates in many incredible ways. You know, when I'm not saying write off worship music. What I'm saying is let it support your theology. So when you, you remember a precious truth through a song, just be grateful that God's chosen to communicate you, you know, to you through that as well. God wanted to communicate me communicate to me this morning through that as well through that song he spoke to me through it music isn't a replacement for christ sex isn't a replacement alcohol isn't laughter isn't what's the uh what's the point then what's the point or what's the purpose behind pleasure because like at this point like all I think, I hope I've resolved it more than this, but you may just be going, well, you've just given me a mistrust for everything good. Like everything good, I'm just looking at it, I'm just going, no, I don't know about you. you know, I don't know. Like just there's this mistrust all over the place and I'm going, fantastic, that's a great place to start. We want a really healthy mistrust of the good things because they can really quickly become God things. 
But let me say this. I don't think in this chapter the preacher isn't saying don't enjoy yourself. He's not saying that. He's questioning where we look to enjoy ourselves. Right? Like he's questioning, well, if you're looking there to enjoy yourself, that's vanity. Or if you're looking there, no, that's vanity. He's not saying don't enjoy yourself. All of these things we've been given are a means to the end of God. That is what for me is shaping all of Ecclesiastes. Let me explain. need to load the spit cannon up again here we go you glorify what you find most pleasure in don't you like the thing that pleases you the most you'll just naturally glorify won't you i guess the way we were made you know the thing that that pleases you the most you share with others and you honor it and you give yourself to it right like that's just the way life is that's the way we were made so it just makes sense if alcohol is what pleases you the most that's what you're going to glorify i'm just going to honor that And that's going to take priority in my life. That's the same with any other good gift, sex or work or money. You'll have an, you know, we we all know that picture. You have an incredible experience and you just want to tell other people, right? You just want to share it. That was amazing. Who can I tell? Like, right, I want to do it again. When When do we go again? Like, what are we doing? You're just going, naturally, you glorify what you find the most pleasure in. The problem is, and we glorify the wrong thing, right? It's not bad to glorify things, but we glorify the wrong things, right? Like that's where the problem is. What The problem is we glorify finite, created things that don't have the capacity to please us. They just aren't cut out for it. They're not even close. So the reason, listen to this, please, by God's grace, hear this. The reason we are given these good gifts for our pleasure is to help us see and know and love God, which results in us glorifying Him more. God, who is infinite and glorious and majestic, who has more than enough of Himself to please us fully, eternally. So enjoy his good gifts as a means of glorifying God, right? So gifts aren't the end. His gifts are the means. Put him to work. Dedicate those gifts to your satisfaction in God and God will be glorified. Uh, Does that make sense? Like take music and enjoy it and enjoy it as a means of seeing God more clearly and more fully and you're just naturally going to glorify him more, right? Like, I'm pleased by music. I'm pleased by the way it helps me know God. So I'm naturally going to glorify God. Do you see how we've actually created a cycle where it's actually really important for you to find pleasure? Because the more you find pleasure, the more you're going to glorify, right? So I'm just saying, just find pleasure in the right thing. Just, and then go at it. Like Just go for it. Here's the good news. As you do this, as you connect gifts as means pleasure in god through his gifts changes you pleasure in god changes you it changes your desires the more you find pleasure in god the more you want to find pleasure in god 
Listen to this psalm. You know, the psalmist. You can just see that, that, that cycle that I love you and I'm pleased by you and I'm going to glorify you because of it. Oh God, this is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Listen to the process. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. See that? I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. I've seen and known steadfast love. And for us, through those gifts, right? Like through his gifts. And because of that, I will bless you as long as I live. I just naturally want to glorify him. Don't you, uh, don't you want to be able to say that? Now, if you feel like you can't turn, like if you feel like you are in the vice of a pleasure, of an earthly pleasure, you just, like I'm just locked up on this pleasure. You know, anything we've talked about over the last nine weeks, Christ died to purchase your eternal happiness in God. Christ died to free you from that and to redeem you for himself. So you can be satisfied in him. Let me read this in, uh, in 1 Peter 3.18. This is, this is what happened. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous, Christ the righteous, for us the unrighteous, that he might, what? Bring us to God. That's, Christ died to bring you to God and for you to find your pleasure and your eternal satisfaction in God. So for those, you know, if you're feeling like you just can't pull away from pleasure, like I'm just in too deep, trust in Christ today. Trust in the work of Christ. Not in your own work, not in your own efforts, but trust in the work of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I just start with um, Psalm 73. And I want this to be our cry. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my portion and my strength forever. That's what we want. I want to be able to say there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I want that, but I know that is not always true. My fickle heart is constantly leading me towards other things beside you. Help us to see your gifts as a means to enjoying you. Help us to see your good gifts as a means to, to pleasure in you, to knowing and seeing and loving you more fully.
Help us to see, Lord. Amen. All right, just a reminder, it's, um, it's free later this week. So enjoy our time in community. Thanks.